Highway 61, Highway 61章お願いします。はい。本当ありがとうございました。This is Community Radio WERUFM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. It is time now for our required weekly test of the emergency alert system. This is just a test. WERU comes from our listeners. And from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at mainecf.org. The time is 10.01, and you are tuned to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org, where Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is, began in 1993 with support from Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and, like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This morning,、uh, we're going to have a conversation I'm calling Man to Man, a conversation about confronting sexist attitudes and behavior. Over the last month, we've been painfully reminded of the reality for all women. Men with sexist attitudes put women down. Men sexually harass them. Men sexually assault them. The headlines and posts on social media make plain that we, what we have known all along. And I hope our conversation today will、um, begin or continue the conversation among men about how they react to and confront sexist attitudes and behavior in their own lives, in their, in their community lives. I'm very happy to have some guests here in the studio and one by phone. We have Rob Benson. Rob is a pastor at the Bar Harbor Congregational Church. Welcome to you, Rob. Thank you. Also, Louis Redding, who is a volunteer、um, here at, at WERU, but also a volunteer with the Next Step Domestic Violence Program.、Uh, welcome to you, Louis. Thank you, Ron. And、uh, by phone,、um, we have Mitchell <coughs> Fossier,、uh, male athletes against violence,、um, a hockey uh, player um, ho- on the hockey team at the University of Maine. Welcome, Mitchell. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, perhaps each of you could、um, tell a little bit about your own、um, uh, lives and then your connection、um, to this issue.、Uh, Mitch, tell us a little bit about your life at the University of Maine and, and your interest in, in hockey, and then we'll talk a little bit more about、uh, male athletes against violence. Yeah, for sure.、Um, like you said, I play on the、uh, University of Black Bears D1 hockey team、uh, here, and、uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. so... A sophomore here at school.、Um, grew up playing hockey, kind of been a, in that sort of environment my entire life.、Um, so, you know, recently got plugged in、um, with, with an organization called MAV,、uh, stands for Malathic Against Violence.、Um, so, yeah. And, and what, what kind of drew you to that?、Um, what what、uh, led you to 
think about getting involved in that way? Uh, you know, I mean, I think, um, I, you know, I had some teammates who had uh, been a part of it, um, and, you know, especially kind of coming to the college uh, scene, you kind of see some stuff going on. Um, that I know I personally kind of disagreed with, uh, you know, the way that uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, guys on campus kind of uh, mistreating women and, they, you know, their, their perspective is perhaps a little distorted. So uh, I think that was definitely an encouragement for me to join this uh, mm. program. We'll come back to you in just a minute. Um, uh, Lewis Redding, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you kind of come to see this this issue. Okay, I'm a relative newcomer to Maine. I'm very pleased to be here. Um, I began to get involved because of stories, basically. Um, over time, I heard from female friends about things that had happened to them. Um, and I came out of professionally human resources and labor relations and ended up as an ombudsperson uh, at a fairly major organization. And there I continued to get stories and got a sense of what was and was not happening and got a sense of how women were treated and got a sense of things that I was able to do that women were not able to do, not because they weren't capable of doing them, Mm -hmm. but simply because it was not a good idea. Mm -hmm. For instance, running around the streets of Boston, Cambridge at odd hours of the night and realizing that if a single woman did that sort of thing, it would probably not be a very smart thing for that Mm -hmm. That person to do. So you and, were you were kind of looking at that from a sense of oh I've got a privilege that women don't have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Rob, how did you <clears throat> begin to become aware of of the issue of of uh, sexual harassment mm-hmm. and and violence against women? Well, I think with along with a lot of people, most recently, actually most recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, with the uh, hashtag Me Too phenomenon, and for me, it was realizing as that went on over a number of days and and long nights, that just about everybody I had ever known uh, began to relate either a familiarity with having experienced sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual abuse, or began to relate their stories in more detail. And people I had known, these were women I had known maybe my entire life, or women I had known just recently, friends, friends, Colleagues, peers, uh, women who are older, women who are much younger. And just it was an overwhelming sense of the pervasiveness of the situation. And I felt simultaneously um, grief, compassion, and then also a sense of powerlessness in that how do I begin as one man who would want things to be different for them and for our society? How do I begin to try to make things different. So I don't know if I come assess- uh, as much as a sense of I've got the answers, but more I've got a, a load of questions. Mm. Well, I don't think any of us would, would assume that we have answers, but um, I, I'm glad we're here to have the conversation. Rob, I'll stay with you for, for a moment. You've got a kind of a, a role as a pastor and as a community member, um, as well as an individual, um, 
a parent and so on. Um, talk a little bit about how your experience in that pastor community mm-hmm. member role. So I've been at the Bar Harbor Congregational Church for a little over three years, and before that served out among the islands with the Maine Seacoast Mission. Prior to moving up to Maine, I worked as a hospice and hospital chaplain in Washington, D.C., and the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and then also um, out in Chicago for a summer. So it's been a little over 20 years that I've been involved in some form of pastoral ministry. I, In that time, I have had the opportunity to walk alongside women who have experienced abuse and have had the challenge as well of walking alongside men who have perpetrated the abuse. And both of those are humbling uh, personal and spiritual experiences. The The first thing they teach you in, in chaplaincy is to try to leave aside all of your assumptions and agendas and really be fully present. Uh, we might call it in a sacred way with the people who are there seeking help in whatever form. Um, I have... In the people who have chosen to share their stories, it has been some of the most sacred times in my professional experience because people who are giving voice to and airing some of the painful experiences that they've had and are looking for um, two things. One is I think they're looking to see if there is someone that they can trust with the truth of what they've experienced. And as a man, speaking with a woman who has experienced something painful at the hands of a man, I think um, embodying that trust is doubly important. And the second is people are wanting to be heard Mm. and accompanied in what they're sharing. So I I guess I feel like all of those are sacred trusts. Louis, you have a a role uh, with the Next Step Domestic Violence Program as a volunteer with the hotline. Talk a little bit about that work and how it intersects with, with the issue we're talking about today. Um, yeah, I managed to hook up with um, Next Step shortly after I came to Maine, partly because news about domestic violence was beginning to increase, and it seemed that almost every day you could find something in a newspaper someplace that indicated something else had occurred. Uh, and and Next Step appealed to me, and um, they allowed me to attend um, their training, which was pretty extensive because I had real questions about being on a hotline. As a man. Uh, as, as, as a man uh-huh. in particular. Right. Um, but just being on a hotline. And I took the training and have now probably been doing the hotline for probably about three years mm. or so. Um, and I find it Every time I have a shift, mm. I find it um, scary uh, to begin with because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm. Uh, and I don't mean to suggest that you get something all the time. There are mm. times when I can be on shift and I won't get a call. Mm. And there are other times when um, I will get two or three calls. And every time the phone rings, it's can I help this person Mm. and how can I help this person? Mm. And one way I can help the person is simply by making them aware of the services that are available through Next Step. Another way I can 
sometimes help is by letting them talk. It's really it's a question of listening mm. um, and letting them talk. It's their it's their story. It's mm-hmm. not it's not my story. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I had a call a couple of weeks ago from a woman, and she got on, and she immediately indicated she did not wish to talk to a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that certainly could be accommodated. But while I was thinking about the best way to accommodate that, um, she started talking. Mm. And I ended up on the phone with her for 30, 35 minutes. Uh, and she talked and she seemed to be comfortable. I did not force her to talk, but she had to talk. Mm. I mean, she had to be listened to because so many women who have been abused have been belittled to the point where they don't have much self-esteem. They don't have much faith in their own ability to deal with the situation. Um, And so I was able to help her talk about what was going on Mm -hmm. and to let her know that it certainly does sound like abuse because some callers don't even recognize that what is happening is necessarily abuse. I mean, there's an assumption out there that abuse is always physical. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. always physical mm-hmm. um, at all. There are other kinds of abuse as well. Mm-hmm. So I found it to be very rewarding, but as I said, I get a hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach almost every time I go on shift because I'm so afraid that something will come along that I won't be able to deal with. And we do have backup. The volunteers on the hotline do have backup of fully paid, fully committed staff members Mm -hmm. at Next Step Mm -hmm. um, whom we can call if we need to to get further assistance. So Mm -hmm. it's not as if... We're just there by ourselves. But, of course, there's a reluctance sometimes to call them because they deal with it week in, week out, year in, year out. And I'm generally on on the weekends. That's the time for them to recharge their batteries and Mm -hmm. recuperate. So you get get torn sometimes because – Ooh. <laughs> right. Mitch, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about um, what uh, you've at, at Maine Athletes Against Violence, um, how you, what training you get, and, and what, what are you hoping happens as a result? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry, what was the first thing that you asked? So, so tell us a little bit about uh, the kind of training um, or, or uh, learning that, that takes place um, in the organization and what you're hoping um, comes out of that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of students around here just, I think, are unaware. And I think that's the biggest issue, especially on a college campus. Um, and I think maybe subconsciously or maybe, you know, even people kind of know that these things go on, but... You know, either they ignore them or they don't really know how to interact with a situation where, you know, maybe you see something that's going on that's not right. Mm. Um, you know, a, a guy mistreating a girl, you know, an abusive relationship, anything like that. You know, it's, it's so prevalent on a college campus with you know, just uh, just the kind of you know, steam that comes along with it. Um, so I think one of one of the big things that uh, you know we go after is you know first just raising awareness that you know this is a huge issue on our campus and you know campus. 
you realize that people oftentimes have a you know maybe um, a skewed you know view of you know the athletes on mm-hmm. our campus. Um, so I think that's you know a big reason why why the guys um, in lab are so passionate about it um, because I think we have you know chance to you know first off change people's perspective on that um, and at the same time I mean we because we have that bigger stage, I think we can reach more people. But I think one of the biggest things that we kind of target is kind of this bystander effect, you know, especially with the culture of college, you kind of see people, you know, finding themselves and, you know, trying to act cool and meet people and, then, you know, don't always know how to handle situations where they have to kind of stand up and make a bold statement. So I think that's one of our, our biggest uh, mission statements is kind of, you know, telling people that, you know, it's your responsibility when you see something going wrong that you need to step in and it is cool. It's not, you know, you're not being not cool to step in and, you know, help someone out who can't help themselves. So, so I think that's probably our, uh, our biggest thing. So do you, do you um, have training to ha- to be a, a, an effective bystander? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just classroom training. Um, but as far, are you asking as far as, you know, showing it to other people on campus? Are you talking about the people in that itself? Yeah, the, the, the folks in your organization, um, do you get training, and then how do you take that um, out into the in, onto the campus um, as, a, as a bystander? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, we, we meet uh, just, just a group in that. We, we meet every Monday for a few hours, and that consists of, you know, training, going through different situations, watching videos, and kind of, you know, preparing ourselves for when we do go out in the week, uh, you know, for different, uh, you know, various things. We'll go tabling, um, just to kind of spread awareness with them all. So we'll go give presentations at the dorms, um, you know, speak at events, we'll, you know, even go out to schools. I think that's another huge mm-hmm. thing that I really like that we do is we'll go out to elementary schools and we'll hang out with them. Because, you know, I mean, I think from such an early age, that's our culture is kind of, you know, really, you know, you look at the media around us and, you know, kids are exposed to it too and you see just, you know, mis- mistreatment of women and kind of, you know, the, the attitude that that's all right. Um, so I think that's another clue that they're going to do is go out and read the kids and kind of tell them that, you know, no, that's, that's not okay. We're, we're all equal. God created us, you know, me, just as, you know, I'm just as poor as you are and everyone's, mm. treated, you know, treated with that equality. So that notion of going out and, and speaking to uh, younger people um, in classrooms and so on, what kinds of questions do you get um, when, when you've had that experience? Uh, I you get a lot of fun questions most of the time. They're, uh, they're younger. Um, but I mean, you know, not like we're getting any profound questions from elementary kids. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of still developing and they're just, you know, they want to have fun. Um, I mean, I do think that it's, it, I think it's good. I mean, you do see kids kind of like, oh, like, and one of the books we read, uh, it's just, I think his hands are not for hitting. Um, and, you know, it's funny to see the way the kids react because, you know, they are, they're kind of still figuring it out. And, it's, you know, they, sometimes you see like, oh, I, I can't do that. Okay. That's, you know, and that's all it is. It's not some big profound experience. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, I can't do that. Right. Right. And and again, you've got um, a number of colleagues. Is is uh, is uh, your roommate um, available to talk on the phone as well? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, he's not. He's actually a doctor's. 
<laughs> okay, okay. Well, be, but he is a member of of uh, yeah, the organization. Yeah. Um, and and have you had found the opportunity to uh, play that bystander, that supportive bystander, um, without um, revealing any anything that's confidential? Can you relate that kind of experience? I. Uh, when you yeah. when you've when you've had to kind of say, look, this is not acceptable behavior to a male um, who's on campus, is that something that happens on on at least sometimes? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think. Well, I mean, another thing is too is people think that you know some you know stand up and you know, yell, stop like that's not okay. And, right. So it's not oftentimes you can make it really subtle. I mean, if you see, you know, you can find you know if you see a girl with a guy and a thing, you know, maybe. Things look like they're going the wrong direction. You know, you can find your friends, or you can, you know, turn a light on in the room. There's so many different ways that you can kind of disrupt the situation. I mean, yeah, if worse comes to worse, uh, I haven't had anything too crazy. Where I've had to step in and, you know, say no. But I mean, I'm certainly willing to do so if that situation presents itself. But I mean, there's so many more subtle ways to mm, kind mm. of disrupt one of those situations. Um, yeah. Great. Well, uh, Mitch, we're, I think we're going to let you go to continue our conversation here in the studio. But thanks so much for being with us. And thanks for you and your colleagues uh, taking this role on a campus as athletes. Uh, you do have a, a position that's uh, respected and your being role models um, must make a, a positive difference. So thank you so much for your work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Ms. Fossier, who's a uh, male athlete against violence as part of the University of Maine. Um, he's on the hockey team there. Um, our conversation this morning is about um, confronting sexist attitudes and behavior. Here in the studio with us are Lewis Redding, a volunteer with the Next Step Domestic Violence Program, and Rob Benson, a pastor at the Bar Harbor Congregational Church. Uh, we'd welcome your phone calls um, as well as we have this conversation, one 866 Rob, you asked me um, why I've just um, included men on this uh, particular broadcast, because often I will try um, to make sure there are both men's and women's voices talking about whatever uh, issue that we're we're here. But it seems to me that it starts, um, it it must start with men uh, reflecting on their own uh, privilege, their own experience, and how um, they, like uh, Mitch does, um, how they kind of present themselves in the world as, a, as an alternative. How do you, you know, you, you um, Rob, kind of took this internally um, before mm. you began to think about it externally. Is that right? Mm, that's true. Yeah. I just, part of it, as I said before, the, the whole hashtag me too uh, thing really made me much more deeply aware of the pervasiveness of the experiences of sexual um, harassment, abuse, and exploitation on the part of women. And as I said about just about everyone I never met. And and part of that was my first um, reaction was was deep compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's no longer the exception to the rule if everybody I know has experienced something like this. And, and then the second part of this, I think, has led to our, our conversation is what what can I what have I done to perpetuate this? What have I done to kind of take it in, um, take in either stereotypes of male behavior and power and privilege? And now what can I do to raise and deepen my awareness of, of these dynamics and to 
as Mitch said, be a, be a more helpful bystander. Mm. Um, if I see these things, if I hear these things, to engage in a constructive way to kind of reframe the narrative so it's not constantly about male power mm. and um, objectifying women. So where, where did each of you kind of get the messages about what it was to be a male? Um, do you, th- do you, you know, you didn't get that in a school lesson necessarily, <laughs> although it may have been part of the of the playground culture. Where do you think you got messages about what it was to be a man? Lewis? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I really hadn't thought very much about that, um, but I think I think those messages are all around us, uh-huh. uh, and I think they are both good in some ways and bad in some ways. And I think what needs to happen is men need to begin to start trying to differentiate those messages Um, because the ones that we often get are negative messages. I mean negative in the sense they're negative in their impact on women. Uh, they're positive for men. Um, you know, we're physically strong. We're supposed to be smarter. Um, all of those kinds of things that all accrue to the male ego um, are not necessarily helpful at all uh, to women. Mm-hmm. And I think you pick up these messages every place mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think even if you look at, at some advertising – that goes on. You know, we're heading sure. into the Christmas season um, and we get these ads, especially jewelry kinds of ads that sort of say, you know, if you as a man, basically, because it's almost always the male who is giving a gift to a female, at least in these ads, if you as a man can't afford to go to Jared's to pick up that diamond, you, you're not you're not much of a human being, uh-huh. and so we get these things that say you're not much of a man. You're not much All of right. a man. Okay, yeah, yeah. and you yeah. won't get you're what you want. I mean, there's there is kind of <laughs> right. a carrot. You know, if you give this gift, you'll have a wonderful oh, yes, embrace. There I mean, there's kind of a, a sexual acquisition piece there's, of the gift too. Which I, yeah. Sorry to say that so no, boldly, but that's that's entirely that's entirely true. So, Rob, where did you get um, your yeah, your boy. beliefs about being a man? Ron, you're supposed to ask us the easy question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 certainly to me, you know, families of origin, I think, are important. That's probably too bland to be able to say. But I, I, as a as a person, I guess, a, a person of privilege, there is an expectation that I develop capability on my own. That that's some measure of self sufficiency uh, and uh, responsibility. Um, which sounds kind of like a frontier Marlboro man, you know, that kind of image of, of, um, of maleness that doesn't depend on others. And I have to say I've become more aware in the last several years of how much better my decisions and process and product are when there are more voices involved, more collaborative effort, and including both men and women. And so it's in not a way unlearning that, sense of that baseline sense of capability and right. self-sufficiency but but adapting a new process hmm. um, to include other voices other other contributions and it's 
I don't want to say cumbersome. It's maybe not expedient. And of course, you can't do it for every last thing. I mean, we're not going to have a committee about um, you know, every last decision. But, right. but uh, having a collaborative process, especially in important things, I think yields a richer result. And mm-hmm. even if it kind of seems to stalemate after a little while, that we might call that spiritual discernment. <laughs> but um, but there can be a dynamic of engagement that 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 might feel frustrating at times, but it yields to comes to a better place. So, and, and how would that relate to um, sexism, for instance? Do you oh, suppose. Yeah. So certainly, I mean, one one thing is if I think I'm going to do everything myself, that might either say um, I'm not going to pursue other people's input, which can happen. Um, or it might say I'll only, pr- I'll only uh, check in with somebody who I feel very close to, a, cl- a tight affinity. So you kind of it's like externalizing a part of yourself and inviting agreement. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you mm-hmm. see that, yes, yes, people, yes, men, mm-hmm. maybe the, mm-hmm. more accurately, mm-hmm. yes, men. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is then if you want to do something different from that, if, you have, if I try to develop a, a group of people working together that would include – um, not just people who are like me or think like me, then I think you have to be conscious of different experiences of, of inviting women to the table and uh, including women at the table and also including women of of different ages, so mm-hmm. not just people of the same ages. So mm-hmm. that's how I'd say it relates to sexism. Mm-hmm. So if, if family of origin is one place where we get messages about what it is to be a man, media, um, advertising, um, certainly movies, television, all those kinds of things um, were of an age where we did grow up with the Western, the Marlboro Man probably, um, influencing what um, maleness meant. Um, and so, so some of those maleness things had to do with, with treatment of women. And as you uh, mentioned that, um, there is a significant violence aspect to that too, um, both in terms of um, – men being expected to go out and procure something, land, food, wealth, or being able to defend against threats, as you mentioned mm-hmm. the Western mm-hmm. um, example. Motif, right. right. The best, yeah. And so that, that there's a certain amount of violence that's expected as part of that. Mm. And we go back to um, our nation – building experience, Um, (laughs) slavery, our treatment of Native Americans, all was built on exploitive um, dominance um, that that forms how we think about ourselves as, as men. So uh, I'm going I'm to just remind listeners, and then I'm going to read a quote and ask for some, some uh, feedback. Uh, but give us a call and participate in this conversation about confronting sexist attitudes and behavior here on WERU's Talk of the Towns. The number is one eight six 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 two five. Nine three seven eight. Um, here's here's a quote from a uh, recent New York Times op-ed piece by, by Jill uh, Philopek. Philop, I have got the the, the name wrong, but anyway, <laughs> November second. Um, the headline was "What Donald Trump Thinks It Takes to Be a Man," and the second paragraph in so she says, "American manhood is reshaping itself in two opposing directions, and both archetypes are ones we've never seen before." If Barack Obama embodied the new ideal of the progressive man, a hands-on dad, a self-identified feminist married to a high-achieving woman who was once his boss, who is also well-mannered and protective of his family, then Mr. Trump is his antithesis, an old-school chauvinist embracing a new code of adolescent anarchy. He is a paradigm of feckless male entitlement, embracing male power while abnegating the traditional masculine requirements of chivalry, courtesy, and responsibility. 
a pretty powerful um, piece um, in the New York Times. Um, reactions to that? Um, is that is that true? Are there two archetypes of what it means to be um, masculine in, in in our culture, and and what do we do about that? Lewis, I I tend I I would tend listening to that I would tend to agree that there may be two archetypes, but the one archetype that's no longer in office <laughs> is, I think, something that's begun to happen more recently. And it's not clear how far it will, it will really go. I mean, I, I can hear, I mean, the standard response to that archetype from many people, I think, would be sissy. Mm. Mm. Um, you're not. You're not being. You're not fulfilling the masculine ideal. <laughs> um, those kinds of things, and I kind of expect that. You know, I, I'm aware of a situation that a friend of mine was in a long time ago. Um, she came to parting ways with with her husband and I'm fairly convinced, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm fairly convinced that one of the things that contributed to that was the fact that she turned out to be smarter than he was and more competent even in some of the areas where men are supposed to be most competent. Mm. And I think it took him a long time to realize that that was the case. I don't believe he ever gave her credit for it. And I think that was a major contributing factor to the to her finally saying mm. goodbye. Sure. Um sure. because he could not he 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 couldn't accept that. So that's in, in, what I expect because of the traditional to, traditional role that a man is supposed to fulfill, mm -hmm. which is can be limiting to men as well. Absolutely. And folks often don't want to think about that. There's there can be downsides for men to that traditional male role. So to to, to, to maintain that, that image to maintain is a, that is a, is a cost to me and you and, and yeah. every male. Yeah. We don't necessarily yeah. recognize that. Right. 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 Rob, any, any reflections on this two archetypes yeah. of what it means to be male? You raise a great question of archetypes and I'm I'm thinking it you know, that's it's kind of a convenient polarization. Um I'm thinking more back along the lines of um how for a long time it seemed so socially we were willing to accept uh, John Kennedy, Don F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Bill Clinton because they proffered policies we might agree with, but we were willing to overlook the their um, either infidelities or, or exploitation of, of relationships with women. Um, that's maybe a tamer version of a that feckless male uh, entitlement is that the word? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and and I do you know, not to wax religious, but but I do. I'm always compelled by another archetype, which is the archetype of Jesus meeting the the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well, which mm. which was um, which if you look at the story, it's it's an engagement of um, trust, equality, 
um, invitation, non-judgment. He's he's not there to exploit her. He's there to to restore Mm. her and participate in her restoration with her. So maybe that's far enough away to have some critical distance with, and I agree with Lewis that um, I'm not sure how how pervasive the former uh, president's uh, archetype will be. We hope it's a a pervasive one. But I Mm -hmm. think just like... um, you could make excuses for John F. Kennedy or, or Martin Luther King. I wonder if people can also make excuses for Barack Obama, meaning, well, he's African-American. Mm-hmm. So does that archetype somehow shine less bright for a dominant culture? You mm-hmm. see in other ways mm-hmm. that his example mm-hmm. and his legacy have been uh, mm-hmm. actively subverted. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that would be one that you know, the archetype doesn't pertain because he's of a minority race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rob, you've you've brought up the the topic of um, religion and 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 archetypes that come through. Um, all of the major religions um, have archetypes in them that we relate to, um, and stories. Um, do religions get a bad rap <laughs> um, in this day and age? We think of of the the right wing Christian kind of thing. We think of of um, radical Islam. Um, uh, you know, do, is is there something we're missing in terms of the basic tr- teachings of of all religions about how to relate to one another? Well, I don't well, know if we're a, missing it, but I think we're maybe <laughs> overlooking it. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you you asked uh, in some of the materials, uh, you asked if the golden rule is an adequate um, mm-hmm. antidote or at least mindfulness exercise around uh, treating women, treating one another with respect. Um, seems pretty basic you know mm-hmm. the, uh, to me um you golden know, rule and again just to, yeah, uh, to, to refrain yeah to, yeah. Refresh. to quote it um i i struggled with it as a kid um i remember my mother really having to sit me down and and kind of um walking me through what my implications were when i wanted to beat somebody up you know because <laughs> that's the way i had been treated so instead oh, of yeah. being treating someone as you were treated mm-hmm. Um, the golden rule suggests that we treat people how we wish to be treated mm-hmm. or we'd like to be treated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that does seem to be a part of, of religious teachings, wh- whatever major religion we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, Two things about that. Um, one is in experiences of um, abuse or exploitation, people make excuses for not treating other people equally by – Assuming that they are essentially unequal. In other words, they're not human. Mm. I, um, I'm thinking of Animal Farm. Um, you know, all, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. So I think if 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 uh, men treat one another in a golden rule context, it's somehow easier to think of women as less than, or if it's easier to think of women as less than, it becomes easier to not treat them with equality and respect. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I think the golden rule breaks down. And I think that breaks down as well to uh, marginalized peoples, uh, maybe people who speak a different language. I mean, we don't go through the whole laundry list. But mm-hmm. as soon as people assume that other people are not fully people, then that opens the door to saying, oh, the golden rule no longer applies. Well, right. but the golden rule can apply to the earth. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. are we treating the earth like we would want to be treated? Well, so that, we, do, we don't have to be <laughs> talk about humans. We just have how we are in the world. Well, that's the other thing. I, and not, I'll ahead. jump in real quick. No, no, um, that's the other thing you asked about kind of the religious um, 
the 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 lasting paradigms of of religious systems and and the the two that the two that stand out for me, one is the in in the, the book of Genesis where it talks about uh, man. It uses that word, man mm-hmm, shall have right. dominion over the earth. You can unpack that word dominion a lot a lot of the ways. I think you have to – a person of faith has to engage with that, to not just simply take it as I can execute my will. It's not license for unfettered liberty. You know, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. burn down this forest if I darn well feel like – I mean, yes, you have that power, but do you have that – responsibility. And I would say no. I think you have to consider the implications of your actions to the what, seventh generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think simply un, um, unquestioningly taking on that dominion paradigm is is not really engaging one's faith. And similarly to that, there's language in the New Testament about um, uh, spouses submitting. Mm-hmm. So there's this language of d- dominion and submission. Mm-hmm. Um, people are quick to point out that that uh, that language is um, that wives should submit to husbands and husbands should submit to wives. They, however, I think many people who hold on to that language somehow miss the second part of that. Um, so, <laughs> I think it, so, so, so I would say you know um, those statements are there, both statements about dominion and submission. And to me, a person of faith these days has to wrestle with that to understand what that means in the context of the golden rule and a baseline assumption of equality. Mm. One eight six. I'll give the phone number one more time, <laughs> Lewis, and then we'll bring you right in. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. As we continue our conversation about confronting sexist attitudes and behavior in a conversation uh, we're calling man to man. Lewis Redding is our guest, uh, as well as Rob Benson. Uh, Rob is a pastor at the Congregational Church in Bar Harbor. Lewis is a volunteer with the Next Step domestic violence program. Um, Lewis, you were going to say something. Yeah, if I can remember it. Uh, (laughs) Being perhaps a little bit cynical, um, you know, we can look at, with apologies, religion and politics. One way to look at both of those is as a way for males to maintain dominion over women and to keep women in their place. Um, we can find excuses for that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. rationale for that behavior. Yeah. 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 So, and again, I'm not saying that it's true. I'm not saying that it's fair to do that, but that certainly is one way to look at both politics and religion, uh, especially as we we move forward and we see I mean, I think just last week, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, there was something in in the newspaper, in one of the newspapers, about a committee of males that was making healthcare policy healthcare policy <laughs> about about women. Sure. Um, you know, our our bodies ourselves is important, and women, from my perspective, should be able to have the right to protect their own bodies. Mm. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where I really think that there are men who are essentially afraid of women, Mm. which, again, to me sort of says, should men who may be like that be in positions to determine what is good or not good for females, mm. Mm. I'm 
not so sure. I mean, I have my own answer <laughs> to that. Um, I'm not, again, saying that everyone would agree with it. Yeah. Let's take a phone call from Tenets Harbor. Fred, you're on Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, thank you very much. Great program. Uh, three points and maybe a question. I believe it was Gloria Steinem who said that uh, to ask us men to remember that uh, women are people, mm. uh, an important uh, thing to keep in mind in our relationships. And uh, I think uh, I think that some uh, sexual independence is a good thing in our uh, maybe for some of us um, uh, too. And the third thing, uh, now there was a, a movie called What About Mary or something like that years ago. And the, uh, the setup was uh, you shouldn't go out on a first date with a loaded gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, that alluded to uh, uh, sexual independence. And uh, certainly uh, some of that I think is a good thing. And so thank you very much for the program. Okay, did you have a question as well, Fred, or not not so much? Excuse me? Did you have a question as well? No, I just wonder if anybody re- uh, remembered the name of that movie. It was uh, <laughs> rather, uh, you know, that scene and maybe others was memorable. Uh, maybe it was called What About Mary? came sure. out, what, 20 years ago or something? Okay. Great. Thanks for your call, Fred. Thank you. Other other phone calls would be welcome at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Well, uh, Fred brings up the, the question. We have a, uh, another call. I'll, I'll take that call first before we go on. We have Jim in Goldsboro. Go ahead with your question or comment, please, Jim. Yeah, good morning. I'm on kind of a spotty connection, so I may have missed this. You may have covered it, but I think part of the issue here is that a lot of our culture now has gotten really violent. The wars do that to a society. Mm. That's no secret. And it, after that, a lot of stuff breaks down. Respect for other people, respect for life, and the fact that our, the armies are killing innocent civilians somehow trickles back down to here. And it's the thing, thing that I think is happening that there's is on the news lately mass shooting, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's not a, much a respect for human life. Mm. Uh, amongst a lot of people, and there's less for human dignity, mm. which is the issue you're talking about now, treating women or treating anybody, and I think it's just part of the big overall shell game, shell cover. Mm. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for your call. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. So lots to uh, think about, react to um, sexual independence um, as, a, as a relatively um, new... Um, uh, kind of latitude that women um, enjoy um, brings different kinds of reactions, and I think that's uh, what our first caller was 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 talking about. Um, but but the notion that they are fully human, um, the Gloria Stein. Remember, we are people first. <laughs> women are people first. Um, I guess would say um, everyone has those those rights. Um, and then the second caller talking about um, violence as a as a, um, a cultural kind of thing. And um, when we go to war, we and and when we kill, we often have to think about uh, the person that we're killing as other, as different. And so that brings other um, kind of things. And when we when we take it on our overall society, um, those things come back to haunt us. Do you have another call? We do, but I'd like to get a quick reaction <laughs> well, to some of well, this first. You know, I think I think there's a lot of presumption that goes on 
with respect to women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a woman is in a bookstore searching for something she might want to purchase and read. And a man is in the bookstore and assumes that she's there to be picked up. <laughs> um, no. A woman wears a skirt that may be a little bit shorter than current styles suggest. A man presumes that that means the woman is sexually available. There's a lot of presumption that goes on, and we don't seem to inquire around those presumptions. Um, And I think sometimes those kinds of presumptions get us into real trouble. We, We assume as males that all of those things are right because, after all, we're God's gift to women. <laughs> um, so naturally, everything sure. we believe right. is is correct, mm-hmm. but that ain't necessarily so. Sure. I think and there I, was a song about that. <laughs> and I love that both of your examples frame the, the question so well that really the baseline um, presumption – of an interaction between a man and a woman is that it's about sexual availability. Mm-hmm. Like walking into book, uh, it, it's just, it's like a, a laser focus and mm-hmm. it, it excludes the 99% other reasons why men and women might, might talk to one another, work together, et cetera. Right. And so that's, I think that's in the, in the, the recent developments in Hollywood and, and uh, other places of power and privilege it it reduces all of the possible reasons for women, men and women to collaborate to sexual availability. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's take that one more phone call, um, and then we'll begin to wrap up our hours. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, I'll presume it's me. Yes, it, yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Tom. Tom. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of several things at once. First of all, the movie is uh, "There's Something About Mary." Uh, mm-hmm. But also, um, I was at dinner uh, the other night with some friends, you know, good friends. And we've been through some challenges, each of us individually. Um, uh, But I was mentioning, uh, you know, an observation that I had that uh, uh, women are either graphically or locationally challenged at times. And my, my female friend took exception with that. And I was trying to think about, well, let me take this apart. Why do I feel this way and she doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and then I realized something that's more subtle, uh, which is that uh, men uh, will sometimes hide their less male traits, uh, you know, so that it, it becomes hard to know, you know, where the baseline is. <laughs> But that makes me think about something I heard when I was a kid. Uh, my friend asked his grandmother, Grandma, what's it all about? And she said, sex. And uh, I thought that was funny because, uh, in a way, it's, it's either like uh, become a little more aware of your environment or don't notice that, uh, you know, uh, there is a difference. And that this difference is something to be celebrated, like mm-hmm. viva la difference. Mm-hmm. That it that to some degree the universal male and the universal female is always at play in everyone's personality, and it just takes that degree of subtlety. But 
when the world is a violent place, it's hard to go there. So that's the general uh, gist of what I was saying, and you can have fun with that. Great. Tom, thanks so much for your call and your reflections um, this morning as we uh, conclude our conversation about confronting sexist attitudes and behavior. Um, this, This notion that we have male and female in us, and we ought to be celebrating that and kind of recognizing the differences and saying, those are okay. Those are part of of, uh, what the universe is all about. Mm. I actually heard something different in that. And that was, um, no, no, just in that, this is a helpful connection uh, for me at least. Um, The background, the baseline um, emotional experience of these times seems to be anxiety and fear. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with a feeling of lack, a lack of control. And so, Perhaps some of the not just existential lack of control, but really, you know, having grown up in the Cold War and uh, as I once said, uh, every building I ever went into growing up had a fallout shelter sign on it. We kind of are coming to those times either in terms of a threat of nuclear war or a threat of uh, catastrophic climate change. And so with that kind of baseline anxiety, perhaps people pendulum swing to what can I do to alleviate stress? What can I do to achieve some form of control? And that might be inappropriately trying to dominate or um, harass or obtain women or um, trying to do other things that, that maintain a sense of autonomy and control This this and doing it poorly because the underlying anxiety and fear perhaps isn't acknowledged. Mm. Mm. So as we as we wrap up, I've got a, just a few more minutes. Um, what's your hope? How do how do we move from where we are to where we'd like to be? Again, my my preference would be uh, the kind of uh, manhood that's ex- expressed in Barack Obama's pre- presidency, not um, the current president. Um, but how do we move towards um, uh, where people, you know, treat each other well, um, men treating women well, especially? How do we move towards that? How do we teach? How do we teach young people? How do we um, confront um, males that that uh, don't necessarily um, believe as we do? Lewis, why me? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, you know, hark back a little bit at least to that that golden rule. Mm-hmm. Um, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And to recognize that everyone of us, I mean, I've not met a perfect human being during my lifetime. And every one of us has his or her own flaws and idiosyncrasies that should be acknowledged and recognized because they're human beings. And should be worked worked with because again we're all we're all human beings mm. um so that compassion that uh, yeah. rob started with in terms of, yeah. of his reaction yeah. compassion for ourselves as well as for others yeah mm-hmm. yeah rob I, I think about the example of um we're talking about kids in school and i think about uh sometimes there are teams that you know the ball the, the boys might only pass the ball to other boys and maybe at that certain ages the boys are more skilled but i have a suspicion there's an awful lot well actually i know for sure there's an awful lot of really skilled athletes who are girls and given the chance uh 
they'll get the ball and they'll score whatever basket or point they need to score. I think at an early age, um, people can only until probably late middle school to really differentiate um, if they begin to by height and power and all of that. But before that, there's an awful lot of equal ability. And if uh, those who are guiding the children can help see that maybe the boys are only seeing half the field, that's not – there's another way to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that academically too. I mean all the studies that show boys are called on or they're more mm-hmm. aggressive mm-hmm. raising their hands. And I think – not to put it all on teachers because teachers do a phenomenal job. But um, they are the ones who can perceive the differences in the social functioning of boys and girls. Mm. Well, thank you both, and thanks to uh, Mitch Fossier uh, for joining us by phone, uh, Rob Benson, pastor at Bar Harbor Congregational Church, Lewis Redding, a volunteer for the Next Step Domestic Violence Program. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for additional topics, please email us at news at weru.org and tune into our companion program Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of Maine Sea Grant from 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks to those of you who called in. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our 